Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Riley Smith. Much cooler weather across the state this weekend. Welcome into this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Mark Magnuson will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at the news headlines. Speaking of that cooler weather, with propane prices lower than last year and supply above the five-year average, Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Nag is encouraging propane consumers to make preparations ahead of the arrival of colder weather and temperatures this winter. Though it has felt more like summer lately, we know colder weather is coming, and it's a good time to top off the tank if you rely on propane to heat your home or livestock barn, said Secretary Nag. With lower propane prices than last year, higher supply levels, and persistent drought accelerating the drydown of grain in the field, Conditions are right for propane consumers to proactively prepare for winter. Data released by the United States Energy Information Administration on October 4th for the week ending September 30th shows that nationwide propane stocks were at 101.4 million barrels, or 134.6 days of supply. Midwest propane supplies stood at 26.8 million barrels, a volume that is higher than a year ago when supplies stood at 24.5 million barrels. As of October 4th, the state average propane price in Iowa stood at 153 per gallon, down from 189 a year ago. Beginning October 2nd and continuing through March of 2024, the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship will compile a weekly state average propane price in coordination with the EIA. These findings can be found as part of the department's weekly fuel reports. In other news, the drought monitor has shown improvements after recent rainfall, Western parts of the Midwest were inundated with heavy rains, while the eastern part received little to no moisture. Large areas in Minnesota and Wisconsin and parts of Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri all received two inches or more. Abnormal dryness and moderate to exceptional drought were reduced in these areas. Meanwhile, drought continued expanding over Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky, and in parts of Missouri, Michigan, and Illinois. Northern and eastern parts of the High Plains region received as much as two inches of rainfall, while parts of Wyoming and Kansas stayed dry. Drought conditions contracted in North and South Dakota and Nebraska. In the South, bands of heavy rain fell in eastern Oklahoma, western Arkansas, and the Louisiana and Texas borders with Arkansas, with some amounts topping 5 inches of rain. But the western half of Texas and Oklahoma, along with much of Mississippi and Tennessee, received little to no rain. And that's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Check out the rest of our daily news stories on iowaagnet.com. And while you're there, go ahead and sign up for our e-newsletter to get our five daily ag news stories conveniently delivered to you every day. Don't forget as well to check out our free twice-daily market podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts on Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, and Podbean. Of course, under the podcast tab on the IARN website as well. Also, check out Iowa Ag Matters under the long-form programming tab, once again, on the Iowa AgNet website. We'll go ahead and kick it over to Russ Parker with his faith-based food for thought here on Weekend Ag Matters. I'm celebrating my high school reunion this weekend and very excited to visit with classmates and have conversations about their lives, about how they've spent their past 50 years. Reunions, for the most part, I think are happy occasions, at least by design, And I'm sure you've experienced some of those special times when you've gathered with family, loved ones, and friends. And I think it's human nature to want to reunite with each other. 
While there are certainly spontaneous reunions, most are purposeful and require some planning. My job for our class reunion was to find the MIAs, those classmates with whom we had lost touch with. With these days of internet and social media, one at least has some resources to use. And the joy that I experienced in the process was the moment of discovery, when the voice on the other end of the phone oftentimes was someone who I hadn't spoken to in 50 years. And I listened to how they had lived their lives. Pretty cool blessing. But there was also some hesitation in my searching, especially when obituary came up, and it reminded me of my own mortality. And in this thought lies a fact, a plan God has designed for each one of us. And granted, it's a choice, but the promise of a reunion can be embraced by all of us. The Apostle Paul offers some insight when we read his second letter to the Corinthians. And he says, We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. God's plan for a glorious reunion. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. And that's it for segment one on this week's episode. Coming up after this short break, Dustin chats with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. This is Weekend Ag Matters. The Iowa Soybean Association, powered by the Soy Checkoff, is driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Your productivity, profitability, and sustainability are top of mind this harvest season for you and for us. From increasing soybean demand worldwide to determining what conservation practices best suit your farm, the Iowa Soybean Association has your back every step of the way. Unlock your field's full potential and harvest the benefits of farmer membership by visiting IASoybeans.com. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. As harvest gets underway here in the state and we're seeing improvements and increases in how many acres have been harvested, well, it's time to sit down with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag, see what he's been hearing and what he's even seen in his own fields, and also talk a little conservation. The last crop progress report last week said Iowa harvest was 9% completed and we know with this warmer weather and Mother Nature actually, you know, I hate this, I can't believe I'm saying this, holding off on the rain for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I have a feeling we're going to see those combines really start rolling in earnest here very soon. I think so. You know, we had that we had that widespread rain across the state, which it's boy, it is hard, isn't it? You say something like, well, we had too much rain to go and you say, oh, my gosh, I don't think I've had I've said those words in maybe months or, or even a couple of years. Uh, the, the fact is, of course, we did have harvest get started. It wasn't like folks were out there just running gangbusters or anything. But uh, I think after this this wet spell that has hit the state of Iowa, folks are going to run hard when it is fit again. And uh, I know folks are anxious, especially as you flip the calendar to October. It makes sense. It's time to roll. And uh, of course, it's also a really, I mean, I love this time of year because we've been talking about and wondering about and and uh, trying to estimate what the yield will be and what's out there. And now, of course, is the time where you go and you, you find out. And 
I think we're going to use the word variability a lot, uh, just given the the dry conditions and the spotty rains and the timely rains. I, I uh, you know, I'm anxious to see what comes out of Northeast Iowa because of that persistent drought that they have been, been experiencing. But I have to tell you that as the early reports are coming in, I'm hearing a lot of folks say what they've said the last couple of years, which is better than I expected it to be. You know, and that's a challenge we've been facing, you know, a couple of last couple of years that we really have been at some sort of drought in the state. I mean, now yes. obviously it's more widespread and, and even in a normal year, which what's normal anymore other than a setting on the washing machine, but you know, <laughs> we've seen variability in the different regions of the state and yeah. now we're all kind of been on an even playing field with lack of rain. Now some again have gotten rain and some haven't as much, but I mean, that variability, I think, is going to probably really stick out more like a sore thumb as we as we get moving, isn't it? Well, I, th- I think it does. And, and I think soil types are going to show you some things. It's, again, you, you know, you think about parts of the state, too, that, uh, you know, western Iowa started dry again this year, ended with some more regular rain. You had eastern Iowa maybe start a little wetter and, and well, not wet, but had rains and then didn't. And, and so, you know, you're going to also get that kind of effect of early, late. Um, and then, of course, we all had that just it, those incredible two uh, sections of time where we had those intense temperatures. And I think if you got hot and you were really dry, uh, that's where things have the impact was multiplied. So, again, we're, we're going to see uh, separation of genetics. We're going to see uh, traits. We're going to see soil types. I mean, I think all those things. I, this is always fascinating to see those differences play out. Uh, but, but again, I, I think variability is probably the word that we'll see, uh, but it is also a testament to uh, all that goes into, it. you know, people talk about, re, uh, you know, uh, being more resilient, right, and trying to be resilient in the face of, of weather challenges, and, and uh, boy, we've been showing that in the last couple of years. It's the genetics, the, the traits, the uh, how you manage a crop, how you protect a crop, how you plant a crop. I mean, all of that culminates in being able to say things like, well, it's better than I thought it might be. So then I got to ask, have you uh, already started your harvest uh, out there at the, at the NAG homestead? A uh, li- little bit, you know, <clears throat> had to get in and <clears throat> had to get in and, and try things out uh, a little bit on the beans and a little bit on the corn. Got to make sure everything's working right. Huh. Uh, but uh, I'm actually able to get up uh, and, and do a little more next week. And so I'm anxious to, uh, to see firsthand what's going on. But uh, yeah, I got a little start, but then had to take a break because of, uh, of the moisture. So obviously, too, we were talking, you know, moisture and rain, you know, we, we've been we've been fighting that uh, low river levels. And we yeah. just heard uh, earlier this week, Memphis lower than it was in 88 and in 2012 in the river. And I know Decorah in that area has been doing everything it can to refill the river, what, 14 inches of rain since the end of August. But yeah. it's going to take a lot more rain than that to, to get things up and running. And that's really been kind of putting uh, farmers in a situation where, you know, trying to find value of our exports, trying to find elevators that are going to take it because of the cost of shipping it right now. It's, it's got to be a, a little bit more of a, a challenging situation for those people out there. You see, and that's where you go beyond that agronomic impact, right? Now we start talking about water availability, you know, for drinking water, for rural water systems. Uh, we're watching that very closely. No, no, no emergency issues at all, but we ought to be watching that and understanding what's going on. You've got river levels, as you mentioned, with the Mississippi and the Missouri as well. Uh, both getting grain down. And again, I, I think it always surprises people. You're not surprised. And most people listening to this aren't surprised. But when I talk to folks, maybe in the non-ag community about, and, and all of the planning that's already going on for 24, purchases made, 
uh, we need to get fertilizer up the river. You know, there's th this goes both ways. You don't just flow things down the river. Uh, we need ne next year's inputs coming north. And so anytime you disrupt that, uh, you put pressure on other systems. In this case, you know, we're talking about spilling over into trucking. Well, there's a shortage of truckers and trucks and, uh, you know, all of that. So you, you, you really do have a tight window to move products off the farm and move products into farm country. And uh, those are those are things that are real and they, they do have an impact. So, yes, it, you can't correct that with one or two rains, even a, a stretch of rain. We really do have to get back into more of a consistent uh, weather pattern. I do. I do think the climatologist tells me that uh, the trends and the signals are being sent for a warmer, wetter fall. It could be some headaches for harvest, but it does uh, start to replenish some of that as we head into uh, to next spring. Kind of like my grandpa used to always say, you never look a gift horse in the mouth. And especially if you're needing the moisture, you're going to take it when you can get it. And, you know, we'll, we'll figure out a way to get the harvest in. We always seem to do that. But and speaking of water and things like that, obviously conservation is something we're still working and still uh, championing here in the state. And uh, what's the latest going on in, in that front? Well, a few things. One is, of course, uh, the rain does help uh, from the standpoint of uh, getting cover crops established. And, you know, we're we're now pushing 4 million acres of cover crops in the state of Iowa. Uh, we've got our, our current traditional cost share, you know, get into the conservation office, the USDA office. Uh, if you can, if it's open, I, uh, we can talk about that too. But um, no, uh, get into the conservation office and sign up for cost share. Or we've got what will be coming up here later this fall is we're once again running our crop insurance discount program. So that's if you, you get a $5 per acre discount on your crop insurance for acres that are seeded down to a cover crop. We kind of had this happen last year where it was really dry coming into fall. Folks weren't, well, the reality is why plant a cover crop if you don't think you're gonna get some growth and that's pretty logical. Uh, well, we did get some moisture and then folks, boy, boom, uh, started to sign up for cost share and get out there and get those cover crops seeded. So I imagine that we're gonna see the same kind of reaction here as we've gotten a little bit of moisture. But again, I would encourage folks to, uh, to do that. But the other thing we're really proud of, and since we last talked, we've announced uh, that we did set a, we collectively, the state of Iowa, set a record for conservation work last year. And, uh, you know, it's up uh, something like 16% over the prior year in terms of the amount of cost share and the number of claims and farms that are being impacted. Those are huge numbers. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to say, and because of a lot of work, on the part of uh, all the conservation partners in this state. There has never been more conservation work, more awareness and uh, more resources available for getting conservation done as there is in the state of Iowa. And that's saying something. We've been at this for <laughs> many decades and to be able to say that we're continuing to set records, uh, that's really important. I hope we can talk about this again next year and say once again that we set another record. You know, and as we talk about these conservation efforts, I mean, obviously we have, we've heard it, you know, there are people that are resistant to change and, you know, and, and are kind of been on the fence about what they should do. But I mean, have we really starting to see more people become, I mean, obviously we're setting the record, but I mean, is that a testament to how much we've been able to educate people and make them realize that the, the way of doing things where, you know, you're not thinking about conservation or you get some of those bad players once in a while that aren't taking care of, of the resources they have available. I mean, are we really starting to get that word out there where more and more people are starting to understand that this is going to be a benefit? Absolutely. I, I believe, you know, this has taken, look, this has taken years, especially on the nutrient reduction strategy around water quality. You know, some of these are new practices. Uh, 
we had to bring new partners to the table. Uh, it's, it's an awareness game. You know, there are some folks that'll do things just to try it and be early adopters. And then a lot of folks, you know, just we need to see it. I want to hear from somebody. I want to go to a field day. I want to hear my agronomist say this is something that we can work on, you know, cover crops, right? We've gone from a few thousand acres of cover crops 10 years ago to pushing 4 million acres today. Well, that just doesn't happen magically. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of folks learning. It's it's the media, it's the farm uh, media talking about it and us promoting it. I mean, it just takes it just takes work <laughs> to do that. And uh, and I think we're really seeing the gears catch when it comes to folks really seeing the benefits. The next big thing that happens is how do we really get our arms around all this talk about, you know, getting paid for conservation, right? What are the market drivers? Can you get paid for sustainability? Can you get paid for lowering a carbon intensity of your crop? How do cover crops and no-till and nutrient management fit into that? I mean, those are really, I think, exciting things in that they can be market drivers. They can be new revenue sources for farmers. And I think we can continue to build momentum into that conversation. But for right now, uh, really, again, excited to be able to say that that collectively we're, we're doing more today than, than ever before. And that's a testament to a lot of hard work and folks trying new things. All right. Well, Secretary, you know, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to visit with us today. Obviously, we want farmers coming off of Farm Safety Week last week. Yes. Uh, we obviously want farmers to make sure they're taking time to at least mitigate the preventable situations, the preventable accidents out there, because there are so many moving parts, literally and figuratively, out there when you're doing harvest. Well, and it can be routine things that you've done for years uh, and, and just become a little too routine. And I think that's the thing we need to remember is that, uh, you know, this is a this is a dangerous business. There are risks. There are hazards. And we know them and uh, need to be very mindful of them. The other thing that is always on my mind is the traveling on the roads and uh, big equipment, equipment that you can't see out of necessarily. Uh, people maybe not taking enough time, giving you enough room. And so I would encourage both on the farm side of this and the non-farm side of this, take time on the roads, be safe, get there in one piece. Uh, we've got a long fall. This is still not October. We've got a long ways to go. Uh, let's make sure that we, uh, we get through it safely. You know, it's like I think we've mentioned a couple of times, I think your family would rather have you home safely at night than worrying about if you got an extra thousand bushels in the bin that night. hundred percent. That's a hundred percent right. And, and you've got to bring that kind of mentality to it every every day. All right. Well, Secretary, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us today. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next month. Sounds good. Look forward to it. That again was Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag, And that's going to put it on the wraps for segment two. Riley Smith will be in to wrap up the show next. October is Pork Month, and in Iowa, we have no shortage of pork producers to celebrate. In all, there are 147,105 Iowa jobs created by the pork industry through direct, indirect, and induced jobs, and those jobs in turn create $8.64 billion in labor income. Make sure you support one of Iowa's most important industries by enjoying some farm-raised Iowa pork this month. This message is brought to you by your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here is Mark Magnuson. 
Hello and welcome to segment number three of Weekend Ag Matters. In today's segment number three, I am joined by Colin Pennington of Farmers Business Network as we discuss crop nutrition and biologicals from FBN. Mark Magnuson for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network and I'm here today with Colin Pennington. We are at the Farmers Business Network tent at Farm Progress and Colin, we're standing right here in front of the display that is showing off the biologicals that are available from FBN. Could you tell us about biologicals in the FBN space? Have they been in the FBN, I guess, um, orbit this whole time? Is this something that's a new thing from FBN? Where do we stand with biologicals? So yeah, the the biologicals are, are category that we often refer to as crop nutrition because there's so much nuance to live biologicals, stimulating the natural biology in the soil and in our plants. There's a lot going on there. And so we, we refer to it very heavily as crop nutrition. And then within each of those individual categories, it's something that FBN has been partnering with other providers in the industry for the last probably three or four years, but really over the last 18 to 24 months, putting together our own proprietary portfolio of products that really fit within the practices and the time of year that farmers need to make that influence on their crop, um, try to find the right place to start test and see what works and continue to grow it from there. And with biologicals, I know that I hear this all the time. It's important to have that data to back up the biologicals. What does that um, look like when it comes to FBN? Do you do the field trials as well to go through and make sure that everything is kind of lining up with what you want to be seeing from those biologicals? We absolutely do. And so, you know, data is king, I think, pretty much anywhere. You talk to a corn and soybean farmer, you know, the bottom line is yield. Um, you talk about all these extra products, we think about spending money on extra inputs, we want to know that it's going to work, right? And what are those ways? Um, FBN has a program called the Innovators Research League. And so every year we take a product in our commercial portfolio, put it at large scale within those trials and really prove out what is this doing, what is it not? And I think it's important to understand that sometimes when we talk about that, we talk about yield gain, right? And, and for us in crop nutrition, it's about yield preservation. What can I do to preserve that genetic potential in the seed that I put in the ground that changes the practice that I'm already doing? What am I adding to a pass that I'm already making? What am I replacing or using less of? And whether that's from an economical standpoint, an environmental standpoint, um, sustainability becomes a big play in the category as well. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. So we look at um, you know, 50, 90, 100 trials a year across the portfolio to really try to make sure that at the end of the day, the data return that we're getting back is justified to the expense that we're putting in because we know no one wants to just go throwing extra extra dollars at, at an acre, right? We want to understand what it's going to do. And so we really pride ourselves in rooting not only the product portfolio that we have in that science and agronomy aspect, but then having the data output for farmers to really look and the access to all of the data, farmer data that exists within the FBN network and seeing who else is using these products. The more data is contributed to the network, the more we can validate um, from a social experience standpoint, as well as the technical trials that we're doing on our own. So Colin, from the big picture angle, when it comes to biologicals, should you look at it as you're trying to get that last little bit or the extra yield, or should it, you look at it as everyone should be at least considering biologicals and what they can do for their operation? I think being educated on what the biological space can actually do for us from a functional benefit standpoint, you know, in some cases, you know, a lot of success comes from uh, a starter fertilizer, for example carrying a lot of product around the field. I'm having to store a lot of product in the spring to make sure I have it when I need it. You know, things within the crop nutrition space like high efficiency FOSS starter that allows you to cut down on that reliance, that could be your benefit. 
other products where you're going through high stress, you need to get bushels back that you're losing because of herbicide stress, drought stress. Um, so I think walking into it with an understanding for those that are new to the category of what is something I could change on my farm? Is it getting my beans through the hot, dry summer a little bit better? Is it getting my beans through some of the harsher chemistries that I'm using on them a little bit better? Is it adding extra micronutrients or macronutrients foliar in crop? Is it getting better utilization of my nitrogen early, stimulating that root growth, capturing all the benefit from my nitrogen fertilizers that I'm using? So I think starting there and really understanding what we want to benefit, there are so many places of entry in this category and knowing what's gonna make most sense for me, both from a functional benefit standpoint, but what practices do I have? Am I applying in furrow? Am I really only spraying? Am I not doing my spraying? Am I hiring it out to somebody else? Um, side dress, even things like fertigation as we move out west, great opportunity to integrate things. So I think the, the space is wide open in terms of points of entry. It's important to come in with an objective and say, do I, is it bushels I'm looking for? Is it a specific nutrient that I'm looking for? Is it a specific efficiency from an operational standpoint? All of those things can come into play and in multiple places. So what is that next step then for someone that's either already well-versed in biologicals, know what they can do, or someone that's very much just scratching the surface and trying to learn more? So I would encourage everyone um, to visit fbn.com slash crop nutrition. Um, you can visit the full portfolio. We've got an interactive guide there that walks you through the way we've set up the portfolio from the start of the season to the end of the season, both by application practice, by application rate and timing to really understand, hey, what might fit in my operation um, and then get connected with a local FBN representative and, and we'll get you started. He's Colin Pennington with Farmers Business Network. You can tell he's very passionate about this biological space. So, Colin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us, and have a great rest of the Farm Progress Show. Thank you. You too. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. That wraps up today's show. You can find this episode and all of our past episodes of Weekend Ag Matters on the podcast page at iowaagnet.com. And while you're at iowaagnet.com, don't forget to sign up for our daily newsletter, which delivers our five top stories of the day to your inbox each day. Also, don't forget the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network on YouTube. While you're there, please subscribe. Click on the notification icon as well. That will let you know whenever we have any new videos available for you. And we also have our free twice-daily market podcast, which can be found at Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, and Podbean. For Riley Smith, Russ Parker, and Dustin Huffman, I'm Mark Magnuson. You've been listening to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.